The topic of regression and the way that autism symptoms emerge and develop has been the subject of much controversy over the years. It has led to many investigations on what was the nature of the loss of skills or regression, what was the trigger of the regression, if there was a trigger at all, how the regression or loss of a previously acquired skill presented itself, what symptoms were the most vulnerable, and what's the best way to observe it in kids. Really, the question is patterns, not regression, because symptoms emerge differently in each person with autism and shows different patterns of onset. I also want to touch on other factors affecting age of diagnosis, which of course ties into patterns of onset, but I'll talk about that at the very end. First, in a new study this week, Sally Ozanoff and a group at UC Davis used the baby siblings research design to better understand regression and whether or not a decline in skills is slow and steady or whether it's sudden. It's worth mentioning that some parents, but not all parents, say that they recognize these loss of developed milestones suddenly, as in overnight or within hours. Others say that they did in fact observe a loss of skills, but it was more over a gradual period of time. In 2016, the National Institutes of Mental Health organized a day-long meeting around the topic of regression or loss of skills in autism. The focus of that symposium was what was going on in the brain during this time, and they used disorders like Rett syndrome, which there is a profound regression that occurs over months, to compare it to. You can find a link to it on the podcast summary. It's a video cast of all the presentations. However, I just learned that the participants published their main findings in a commentary in the journal Autism Research this month. So I'll talk about the neurobiology findings after I discuss this new research. At UC Davis, by focusing on baby siblings, those who have a high probability of getting a diagnosis, they can observe them even before the regression occurs, if it did occur. The investigators compare the patterns of onset in those who ended up with a diagnosis to those who did not. And they're able to do this from almost as early as six to nine months of age. This is prior to when parents normally describe that they've seen a loss of skills in their children. Remember, these infant siblings are seen at multiple times. In this study, they were seen as early as three months, but all of them had their first visit by nine months. The researchers wanted to get multiple perspectives, not just the parents or not just the clinicians, but both to see what was going on. So they used summary reports of what the clinician said after each session. They also used parent report of the child's current functioning in social communication and repetitive domains. Each item is ranged on a zero to three frequency scale. It goes from anywhere between never occurs to off to often occurs. And the questions are things like, my child looks at me during social interactions. My child smiles back at me when I smile at him or her. Also, when I call my child's name, he or she looks at me right away. This is the same things that a clinician would be rating in the examiner interview and reporting in that summary. So it's interesting to get the parent versus the clinician perspective. Remember also they're getting it multiple periods in time, nine months through diagnosis, through the so-called loss of skills or regression period. It's obviously not so important that you know the details, but I do want to make sure you know that they were looking at this from multiple angles. Finally, the researchers used a retrospective parent question from a diagnostic tool called the ADIR. 
Now, the ADIR can be given at any time during a person's life, and it is used as a recall. Sometimes it's used when the person is an adult. Sometimes it's used from, the, from childhood, right when they start to notice symptoms. So that's where the retrospective comes from. The questions are asked, things like, when did you first notice your child babbling? When, did you, when, were, when were they potty trained? When did they start walking? So the parent has to go back and remember things from months or perhaps a year ago. The authors compared the parents to the clinicians and what they observed, and frankly, they agreed most of the time. There were, of course, some differences, which is why when they drew the patterns of how the skills were acquired or lost, they presented them separately, the parent report versus the clinician report. Both parents and clinicians noticed that those who were later diagnosed with autism had a general pattern where social communication behavior declined over time, then stayed stable compared to those who were not diagnosed with autism. The authors conclude that if you define this as a regression, it could be more common than people think. But if you define regression that happens all of a sudden in the period of an hour, then that's very unusual in autism. It may happen in other neurodevelopmental disorders, especially those with a known genetic cause, but not autism specifically. So if you broke down this group even further, those with autism who showed this slow and steady decline, the researchers showed that there are actually two groups within this autistic subcohort. First group was ones that were scored low to begin with and really stayed low. They stayed lower than typical peers, but they were low to begin with and they just kind of had a flat line all the way across. And then there was another group who started out low but really had declined. And again, it was over the course of years and months, not hours or days. Now, this does have clinical implications. It suggests that for kids who have a high probability of diagnosis, these baby SIBs, parent report using a dimensional measure I talked about, the one at multiple time points, may be able to give insights of when the decline is happening and how far into the decline the child is. This could help facilitate intervention. The interventions may stabilize the decline or even reverse it. Ideally, the idea of using a parent report in a very intense way to look at all developments of behaviors could be done in all infants, but there's really just not enough scientific evidence to say that it would provide the same level of information as it does with those with this added risk. So what's going on in the brains during this regression or decline? This was the topic of the 2016 full-day NIH meeting that's available via the NIH webcast that we're going to post on the podcast summary. Rather than calling it regression, the researchers at this meeting called it a loss of skills. When you think of it from a biological perspective, loss of skills is technically more accurate. The goal of the day-long meeting was to understand the clinical signs, but really hear from biological researchers to find out what could be going on on a cellular and circuit-based level during this time when skills were lost. Researchers have used brain tissue of individuals with autism to help understand the structure, the shape, and the connectivity of the brains of people with autism. And many of this research is the basis of how a loss of skills or regression could happen in people with autism. But rather than just focus on autism, there's also neurodevelopmental disorders like Rett syndrome and Christian syndrome that also experience a loss of skills. Across different syndromes, the type of skills that are lost and the timing is different, although parents of people with autism and the data from the Ozanoff study 
In autism, it seems to be from about one to three years, and it focuses on social skills. I'll start by talking about what happens in the brain during typical development. Here, the brain connections that form neural circuits of the sensory systems matures first, followed by motor association and integrative regions. Circuits are the connection of the brain cells that have a function. Your cable TV is actually a circuit from the wall to the cable box, then there's a wire from the cable box to the TV, and then there's a remote control that controls the cable box. The TV is then plugged into the wall for the electricity. Same with brain neurons, although it's admittedly more complicated than just three separate plugs. In the human brain, you can't just form these different circuits at any time and expect them to work the same way. There are critical periods in which they develop. They don't develop in a constant pattern from the time they're an embryo to adulthood, and they don't even continue developing past a certain time. In children, critical periods have been recognized for vision, auditory functioning, language, learning, and possibly things like musical ability and memory. Meaning these, these are periods when the cells project out at a fast rate, making more projections at different times, making these periods very important for human development. They start and they stop at specific times, and it's during these critical periods that alterations that are made have enormous impacts. While you can't do this in a human, in an animal, if you stop this period of intense brain activity that forms circuits, and when neurons project out to each other to other neurons is this intense period of time, you can do something and shut it down early. Then the skill stops developing. So in fact, what has been gained has now been lost. So they conclude that as far as our brain cells go, when brain cells don't connect at the right time, or if they stop connecting at certain times, they may in fact stop the function of those brain cells that they serve. This includes processing of sounds, speech, and social behaviors. Also, sometimes during development, when you are generating tons and tons of neurons, the brain may generate too many and form too many. It's then, during normal development, that they start to be pruned back like a tree. If you have a tree or a bush that's getting too big and the limbs are starting to droop, those limbs can either fall or they get pushed back by other trees and they change shape. Maybe, just maybe in autism, they might get pruned back too much, eliminating neurons that help in development, halting some circuit formation that is so important in these behaviors. In Rett syndrome, there is actually thought to be this going on specifically in the GABAergic neurons. Too many GABAergic neurons are trimmed down by the brain or not enough are trimmed down in different areas during this critical time point when GABAergic neurons are so critical for forming these circuits. To summarize, a regression or loss of skills is a process, not a single event. Loss of skills may be more common than thought in people with autism, but the right tools are needed to detect it from before 12 months of age when it starts. If clinicians can find the point when regression starts, there may be things that can be done to stop this loss of skills and bring them back to where they were. Maybe, that's still under serious study. Loss of skills is different than onset per se, and a study came out this week using CDC data that showed that medical and psychiatric comorbidities are a big factor in onset of a diagnosis. You can imagine this to be true practically, right? If a child has more medical comorbidities and psychiatric issues and developmental issues, 
they are going to be the ones referred to a doctor earlier to get that evaluation faster. This was kind of assumed previously, but now critically demonstrated. Of interest, 95% of eight-year-olds showed some sort of medical, developmental, or psychiatric comorbidity. And some of them may be more subtle than others, so it's important to watch out for all of them because they could be the key to earlier diagnosis. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you had a very happy St. Patrick's Day.